Welcome to Coffee Over Suicide, the dramedy podcast about mental illness and choosing life over death, one cup of coffee at a time. I'm your host, Chris Parker Howard. And today on the show, we've got Jackie Simmons. Uh, If you haven't seen her TED Talk, go look that up on YouTube right now, or just wait around, listen to the episode, because it is excellent. She is a passionate advocate about stopping teen suicide. And we see eye to eye on so many things. It's such a great conversation um, where (laughs) she does most of the talking uh, and with good reason. So we're going to get into that in just a minute. You may notice a couple of things. Um, One, you may notice that the episodes have not been dropping with any sort of regularity. And as I mentioned before, Uh, I am going to school to be a real therapist instead of the fake one I play here. And uh, it's going well. It's going very well. You may also notice that I'm looking quite a bit different here than I did even in what you're about to see in the rest of the video, if you're following along on YouTube, which you can find both at the Coffee Over Suicide YouTube channel uh, and Randomify, uh, the parent company, uh, which is really honestly just me and a friend. So, a lot of that stuff. Uh, uh, I'm kind of rambling, aren't I? I'm very good at rambling. Um, I've been going to the gym a whole lot. It's been good for my mental health. It's been good for my self-esteem. It's been good for a lot of things. Um, I'm feeling super strong and uh, capable. And at the same time, I'm having a lot of stress that I'm not getting things done correctly. I'm not doing enough. And I've been running groups uh, every Thursday for Coffee Over Suicide. And that has been the main focus. I've always thought that if this show can do anything for anybody, it's to make them feel like they're not alone, like they're part of a community. And I wanted to take that a step further, and I have. So every single Thursday, uh, you can convert the times from Pacific to Eastern or whatever, just Google it. You'll figure it out. You're smart. I believe in you. Uh, It's every single Thursday from 8 to 10 Pacific, and then again from 3 to 5 Pacific. So every Thursday. It's a good group of people that have been showing up week after week. Uh, There's always some new people who come in. Uh, sometimes they come back, sometimes they don't come back, but it's a really great eclectic mix of people uh, with all kinds of issues and some some from all over the world, um, and we'd love to have you if you want to show up. So without further ado, I would really like to just let this conversation be what it is, and then if you want to find out more at any given time about anything. You can find me on the Facebooks and the Instagrams and all of that stuff where, believe me, there's a lot of stuff going on in my personal life. Uh, And if you care about that, 
uh, write me an email, info at coffeeoversuicide.com. So thank you for sitting through the uh, kind of rambly, overly caffeinated intro here. (laughs) And let's get into this conversation with Jackie Simmons. going to go ahead and break the fourth wall on this and just let everybody know that we talked for a good 15 minutes and had a technical difficulty. (laughs) And so we're starting over, uh, which that's, that's kind of beautiful in a lot of ways, because it's, it's just this idea that things go wrong, you pick up, you try again. Wow. Um, you know, that's a quotable or what we call a writer downer. <laughs> yeah. Things go wrong. This is life. You know, we are round objects hitting round objects when you're talking about human interaction. So we don't know what direction they're going to spin off in. And if you don't believe me, try shooting pool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm going to uh, I'm going to give us uh, and the listener a little bit of uh, a refresher. So Mm -hmm. we'll we'll start over in the sense that again, uh, because it's it's still uh, it's still morning here on the West Coast. (laughs) Good morning. How are you? (laughs) I am well, Chris. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, so I know that I'm talking to you from Florida and I imagine that the weather there is much better than a lot of other places on the Eastern seaboard right now. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) The weather here is much better than Maryland, which is where I came from. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I used to be in a band and, um, I always loved rolling through Baltimore because it's such a, it's such a strange city. Uh, <laughs> okay. you know I, mean? I mean, you probably know what I mean. It's it, uh, it, that might be a kind way to put it. Uh, but I mean, it, it was, there seemed to be a lot going on. Um, you know, it, it, you could find a lot of different kinds of restaurants. You could find a lot of different kinds of people. <laughs> and it, it was just, it, it, because of its proximity, uh, to DC and everything. It's just. And New York city. Yes. Okay. So Baltimore is in that no man's land between DC and the metropolitan opera house and New York city and Broadway. And so while it has its own culture, it has its own sense of arts. It's not where people go. It's not an arts Mecca. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you like really, 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 really good food, Baltimore is a Mecca. Yes. Whether you want seafood and crab cakes, and by the way, crab cakes that are all crab and nothing else, mm-hmm. kind of crab cakes, or you want Greek or Italian, you know, Baltimore has all of these ethnic communities built inside of it. Oh, yeah. 
And I raised my kids in Howard County, hey, Howard, Columbia, Maryland. So that's where they all went to school. And that is a place all by itself because it has Columbia, which is one of the first planned communities that was incredibly successful. And Howard County, Maryland has one of the highest per capita disposable incomes in the country. And where I live now in Sarasota, Florida, same thing. One of the highest per capita disposable incomes in the country. It makes it really easy to transition. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, unlike any other part in Florida, Sarasota also has its own freestanding opera, freestanding ballet company, uh, more live theater stages than most metropolitan areas because this is where John Ringling brought the circuses to winter. Right. And all the circus acts came from Europe. So this is like this whole area. Oh, and I'm not supposed to tell this publicly because we really don't want anybody else to come here. Uh, But I'll tell you, it's like this oasis of culture. Yeah. It's an amazing place to be alive, to live and to, you know. So thank you because, yeah, I I love that whole time in Baltimore. I still have one daughter who lives right outside of Baltimore. And I love where I live now, near the water. I also live near the water. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I do, uh, I I do remember, I, I, when I was living in Denver, Colorado, um, just a few years ago, that was, it, it was a very similar vibe. We didn't want to tell people it doesn't really snow here. It's usually pretty nice. Things are pretty clean. Housing's, well, housing's gotten pretty insane there, but housing was okay at the time. And, uh, there were jobs all over the place. So it was kind of like, and there was art and everything everywhere. And so we kind of just, as the city started to fill up Mm -hmm. like, Oh, Oh, well, so, uh, I do want to jump into the story. I want to get into this because you've got, you've got an incredible story that's full of twists and turns. And it's, uh, it's one of those ones that I, I particularly love because, um, it's real heavy, but there's some real joy in there, uh, still tucked in the crevices. And that's pretty much where I live. That's my sweet spot right there. So, Let's go ahead and get ourselves a little messy. (laughs) Take me back uh, to when when this particular story we're going to get into started. No, it's the way back machine. Yeah. It was June 1995. My three daughters were in high school and middle school. We were a stable, middle-class American family. And my daughters were getting ready for their summer trip to go visit their dad one state away. Now, I don't know if you have daughters, Chris, but with three daughters, that means only one thing. Shopping. (laughs) 
My daughter, Stephanie, she was 14. She was in between her sisters, in between schools, and in between clothing sizes. The shopping became an adventure. Outfit after outfit, store after store, nothing fitter. And at the end of the day, we came home with nothing except an attitude. Yeah. Stephanie headed straight upstairs to the bathroom. And I collapsed on the sofa, (laughs) just grateful to be off my feet. Peace and quiet. And then, Mom, I think I need help. My eyes were drawn to Stephanie's left arm. Blood was dripping off her fingers onto the wood floor. The emotional part of my brain started screaming in terror at the sight of my bleeding, obviously suicidal child. The rational part of my brain started flipping through the files in my head, looking for the date of her last tetanus shot. I wrapped her in my arms and assessed the wounds. They were not life-threatening. Thank goodness. Chris, have you ever been panicky and calm at the same time? Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, we applied bandages and made plans to visit the local teen suicide prevention, local teen suicide, no, teen mental health. That's what it was. It was a teen mental health facility the next day. Eventually, our tears stopped. The mutual I'm sorry's were shared. And she slept. I couldn't risk being away from her. So we slept in the living room. And between us, her handwritten note, her promise not to harm herself again while I slept. Yeah, right. Like I was going to close my eyes that night? All night. I stared into the darkness and listened to her breathe and wondered what just happened. How did this happen? (laughs) Who's to blame? It it had to be somebody's fault, didn't it? What followed that night? Years of counseling, therapy, medications, interventions, hospitalizations, and 13 more attempts. As long as she was getting professional help, Chris, I sold myself on the idea that we didn't need to talk about it. Yeah. I didn't want to talk about it. I mean, would you want to know what could cause your kid so much mental and emotional pain that they thought dying was better than living? I didn't want to know. As a matter of fact, I was scared to talk about it. I was scared I would put the idea back in her head. Mm, you know, you, you might rationally think that after 14 attempts, I'd have figured out that the idea was in her head. That's not the way the human brain works, though. So for 23 years, I didn't ask. And then Stephanie, now 37, broke the silence. It was August the 3rd, 2019. And the day of Stephanie's talk was already hot. It was on the outskirts of Sarasota, Florida. 
I walked in and greeted the 12 speakers that I had trained to deliver messages that matter. Hey, Chris, you all appreciate this. Everything worked. The videographer was set. The PowerPoints worked. The microphones worked. Yeah, I mean, everything worked. Yeah. And the audience started taking their seats. Stephanie was getting into that nervous, excited state you get into right before you give a talk. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, Chris. I am super proud of my daughter. She looks amazing. She had on a dark blouse and a flowery skirt. and Her hair was pulled back in combs. And she was first up on the speaker's roster. The lights dimmed. From the front of the room, I'm welcome, everybody, welcome, Stephanie Ashton. Mm -hmm. Stephanie walked up confidently and shook my hand. And she started with 3,000 teenagers will attempt to take their own lives today. That's just in the U.S. In the back of the room, I was stunned twice. First, because I had no idea the number was that large. I mean, 3,000 a day? Who knew? And second, because I had no idea suicide was her topic. Stephanie continued with, when I was 14, after a bad day of shopping, I stood in my bathroom. The pain of not fitting into any clothes was just more proof that I didn't fit in anywhere. And that pain was more than I could bear. So I took a razor and I cut into my left arm, trying to end the pain and my life. In the back of the room, I'm stunned. I mean, I can feel the blood drain from my face. Stephanie continued. It wasn't my only attempt. There were others. And outside of getting professional help, I've never really talked about it, especially not with mom. It was too awkward, too painful, too easy to avoid. Mom and I talked about other things. Mom and I had the talk about sex. Mom and I had the talk about drugs. Mom and I had the talk about alcohol. Then I went to college on a dry campus. That means the kegs were hidden in the showers of the girls' dorm. Mom and I had the talk about alcohol more than once, but we never talked about suicide. I still struggle with suicidal thoughts. In the back of the room, I went from pale to bone cold. Chris, have you ever been hijacked by a bad memory? Oh yeah. As I realized the struggles that my daughter had faced alone because I didn't have the courage to have the talk about suicide, Only my 30 years as a stress management consultant kept me from just crawling into a corner and bawling my eyes out. Stephanie wound up her talk with, on my suicide avoidant journey, 
I've learned tons of coping skills. Now I want to teach those skills to teenagers before they need them. Yes, before they need them. Yeah. Oh my God, there was not a dry eye in the house, including my own. Everybody gave her a standing ovation. People rushed up and hugged her and thanked her for being so brave, so willing, so vulnerable. And in the back of the room, I was frozen, totally torn between pride for her bravery and guilt and shame for my cowardice. And Chris, then it hit me, 3,000 a day? 3,000 a day. This means, Chris, that every day over 6,000 parents start to live the guilt nightmare that I've lived. And that means every day, over 20,000 grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, and sisters start to live that guilt nightmare. And that means every day, hundreds of thousands of classmates, teachers, neighbors, boyfriends, girlfriends, all start to live the guilt nightmare that I've lived all probably just as blindsided by it as I had been. And then I wondered, Chris, I wondered if Stephanie was right. What if the key to stopping teen suicide was as simple as having the talk about suicide before you think it's needed, before your teen needs the tools? What if we gave them the tools before they need them? I'm like, holy crap, that is so simple and obvious that professionals have tripped over it. You know, simple and obvious, like putting wheels on luggage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Or uh, putting ketchup in squeezable bottles. (laughs) Yeah. Simple and obvious. So after that day, Stephanie and I decided to work together. I mean, oh, my God, who knew that was possible? Along with, <laughs> along with her sisters, we founded the Teen Suicide Prevention Society and we started teaching parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and anybody how to have the talk about suicide before you think it's needed, before your loved one is struggling. And that talk is a simple science-based talk. It's designed to work with the brain the way the human brain actually works. And it's designed to alert you if you need intervention. Hey, hey Chris, I got an idea. Yeah. What if instead of talking about the talk, we let people experience it? Would you be willing to role play this with me? And let's just have the talk that stops suicide. Absolutely. Let's do it. Awesome. Okay. So it always starts with the invitation. You know, hey, I want, I'm part of the mission to make teen suicide a thing of the past. I have a guide I need to practice. Would you be willing to practice this with me to help me out? Yes. The answer is almost always yes. And I'll explain why in a minute. But thank you. Hey, Chris, thank you um, for helping me practice the guide. It's only four questions. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Cool. Question one, Chris, have you heard about the rise in teen suicides? Yes, I have. 
Thank you. Question two, Chris, do you have a story? Do you have a friend who's tried or died? Yes. Thank you. Question three, Chris, have you ever thought of leaving that way? Yes. Thank you. Question four. Hey, Chris, why stay? What are your reasons for staying? Wow, that's the biggest one. That's the biggest question. There's so much in that. Uh, I really love that question. What are my reasons for staying? Uh, I'll be honest with you. I've got an unconventional one. Mm -hmm. uh, I was chronically suicidal mm -hmm. from almost five years old. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, it, it made things interesting for my parents for sure. Um, I eventually came to this idea that I was going to try every day to get the most out of life that I could get because I thought if it doesn't work out, I can kill myself later, <laughs> which was the strangest way to save my own life was to think about it like, let's try, let's try to live. Let's find the courage to live and give that a shot. That was the strange thing that started it for me. And then of course, I moved away from that <laughs> as I think anyone should move away from that thought. I can just do it later, but I've got children. I've got people in my life and I came to the conclusion that it wasn't me and my life that I wanted over. It was that I wanted change and I just wasn't sure how to get it. Wow. What a great realization. Why stay? What are your reasons for staying now? I love my life. I love it now. And I love the people around me and I love being able to help other people love their lives. The more specific people get with the answer to question four, the more that what's happening inside your brain is that your brain, all of the energy that was involved in suicidal thoughts, suicidal history, suicidal awareness, all of that energy just got pulled away from that neural network and redirected into this new neural pathway. The new neural pathway is like a file folder in your brain. Yeah. And it's a file labeled reasons for staying. And now any thought of leaving has to get past that file folder, reasons for staying. We call this building a buffer, backing people away from an edge they may not have even known they were near. Yeah. We know that when you back people away from the edge with this simple four question guide, 
if you back them away from the edge, you'll never have to talk them off a ledge. Yeah. Never. So a couple of things I want to point out. Parents, I want to let you off the hook. If you've been waiting for signs that your kid's in trouble before having the talk about suicide, well, we believe you're looking for trouble because we live in a day and an age where the first sign that somebody's struggling is often an attempt and they don't all survive. So better to just assume that we are all at risk. We call this war with two A's. We're all at risk. And once you just accept that, then you have this talk with the 20 people that you would miss the most if they were gone for any reason. And it's really super simple. We give the script away. We give the training around it away for free at the Teen Suicide Prevention Society.com website. It's all there for everybody. We want you to be having the talks with the 20 people you would miss the most. Now, here's two things about the script. First, it has a fail-safe device. The fail-safe is that if someone says yes to question three, they have thoughts of leaving, and no to question four, they have zero reasons for staying. Stay with them and dial 911. They'll hate you for it. Mm -hmm. And they might still be alive next year. You might save their life. Now, here's what's funny. Thousands of talks, the number of times that someone has said yes to question three and had zero reasons for staying at question four. Chris, you want to guess the odds? That's got to be pretty, that's got to be pretty low. Zero. Zero. And here's why. People who are struggling with suicidal thoughts, who are struggling with deep depression, mask. They lie. And here's what's brilliant about it if, when they do that. When they lie about having reasons for staying, their brain is hearing their mouth answer the question that they have reasons for staying. And it is building out that same folder in their head. Now, all of a sudden, their subconscious mind has this folder, this block against the negative echo chamber that says, oh, we have reasons for staying. Yeah. Because the one thing that your subconscious accepts is what you say. Yeah, exactly. So there was a Jedi mind trick that I did on all of your audience. Is it okay if I fess up now? Yes. While you were answering the questions, Chris, because of something called mirror neurons, every single listener, their brains were firing in the same way. They went through this funnel of bringing it down, making it personal, and then flipping it on its ear, redirecting, pulling that energy and redirecting it into a new neural pathway labeled reasons for staying. So however many people listen to this have just been backed away from an edge that they may not have even known they were near. Yeah. So thank you, Chris. Oh, thank you. You know, I, I am um, one of the biggest fans of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a big fan of it. Um, I've, uh, I've had a lot of success with it. I, and the thing about it that I like so much is 
very similar to what you're talking about here, which is the fact that you can actually physically change your brain with thoughts and actions. You can physically change the way your brain operates. You can create new neural pathways and you can essentially rewire yourself. It's possible. And I, I think that this approach is absolutely amazing. I'm a conscious transformational master coach. And the combination of my history is a stress management consultant and um, I'm also an emotional resilience grandmaster. So all of that informed how we built out that talk at the Teen Suicide Prevention Society. What we know is that you can't do it wrong. All you have to do is read the script. It's designed, that guide is designed to be read verbatim. It's super, super simple we believe you can't do it wrong. And we have all the tools to support anyone who wants to have the talk. And we will show up anywhere. You got a group. You want a demo of how this works, how to get teenagers or any age group engaged, role-playing this talk with each other. All they have to do is get engaged with this material. And you are building that. We call it suicide-proofing. For the adults, we call it suicide proofing. I get a lot of slack for that. I also say that suicide prevention, pure prevention, when you're not looking for signs, trying to intervene, when you're doing pure prevention, this is a lot of fun. I take a lot of flack for that too. The main thing is that if you're willing to play, we've got all the tools you need. We've got all the support you need. And we are having a lot of fun over here at the Teen Suicide Prevention Society, because we don't believe in waiting for signs. We believe that suicide is a naturally occurring part of the negative bias in your brain, part of your problem-solving mechanism. Yes. And Chris, we never, as I also have a full Advocate for Living training program. Advocates for Living never take suicide off the table. For someone. That's not our job. The only time someone acts on a suicidal thought is if it's the best idea at the time or the only option at the time. Our job as advocates for living is to help make sure that you see other options, because if you see other options, you will not take that action. You'll take some other action first, because as you put it, I can always kill myself later. Right. If you try to take it off the table for someone, what do we do when somebody tries to take something away from us? Try to take your cell phone from a two-year-old. Yes. I mean, yeah. come on, guys. You're fighting against the way that the brain works. I don't believe in working that hard. I like working with the brain the way the brain is designed. And I've got a whole training on how the teen brain is designed. Because they don't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex. They don't have a pause button. They don't have perspective. And all it takes is subconscious thought. You know, that thought about suicide that's so yucky that you can't share it because you're afraid. You don't want to be a burden. You don't want them to think you're crazy. You don't want them to refer you to somebody. So you try not to think about it. If I said, don't think about an elephant, what just happened? Elephants. 
the more you try not to think about a suicidal thought, the more you are doubling down on it because now you're thinking about not thinking about it. We call that the negative echo chamber. Your subconscious mind is elegantly designed to bring about what you think about. So it starts looking for opportunities and creating plans to bring about what's important to you, because if you're thinking about it, it must be important. And with a teenage brain with no pause button, all it takes is opportunity to cross subconscious plan and they're gone. Kids are waking up in emergency rooms going, I don't know what happened. And it's true. Their conscious brain was not involved, guys. That's why it's important to break this topic open, to break the silence on suicide before you think it's needed. Please break the silence. Have the talk. I cannot thank you enough for having this talk with me today. And, you know, I'll leave you with this. I'm 45 years old. There are so many times in my life where I came very, very close, perilously close to not being around. I have had an ambulance called on me. And I was very angry and swore I would never talk to that person again. And I'm here today to forgive that person. I'm here today in spite of myself and in spite of all these things. And occasionally, because I've I've got these things wired in me the way that I've got them wired in, the idea of suicide comes into my head, but it doesn't stick the way it used to. It comes in like it's an option, the same way learning to train poodles how to ride a unicycle would enter my head as an option. It's not the one I'm going to reach for. It's a naturally occurring thought. Freud said suicidal thoughts are normal. We've just become afraid of them, and that's where they have their power. Not the thought, it's the emotion. So... Anyone who wants to know more can always find me through the Teen Suicide Prevention Society. I'm easy to find on social media, and I teach people how to have control over their thoughts and emotions. That's what we do. Thanks for talking to me today. Thank you, Chris. Wasn't that great? Oh. I really love a a lot of the way that she framed these things in a way that is super relatable to me as a person. I hope it was relatable to you. It was uh, impactful and punchy, and I love everything about it. And if you want to get some more Jackie in your life, and I know that you do, you can go find the full TED Talk on YouTube. You can also go to her website, JackieSimmons.com, where it's got all kinds of resources for different courses and classes and things like that. As for me, I will be putting together a series of episodes focusing on musicians and comedians and things like that again very soon as the 30th anniversary of the Crispy Music Festival comes around in August in Saginaw, Michigan. And there will be more details on that coming soon. But until then, don't kill yourselves out there.